Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. With your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Sucks, a podcast about the best and worst of true crime TV and documentaries. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host this week, Kim Crawl is here. Hi. Kim, Hi. How are you? <laughs> how's it going? How are you feeling after watching this highly upbeat documentary we're covering today? I was really sad. I like didn't expect to be that sad. Yeah, this one is a bummer. I yeah. have to record a bunch of stuff ahead of time. So I just sort of like scanned the internet for what true crime documentaries are out there and just blindly picked this one. Oh, really? Yeah, I had no I had no knowledge of what it was about. I only knew the title, which is Take Care of Maya. Mm-hmm. And I assumed there was going to be some child abuse involved, but I didn't expect the documentary to be what it is, which is no. it's all almost more about the state and child protective services abusing a child more than parents doing it. Yeah. It's, there was a point in it that I was kind of hoping it was the parents because at yeah. least it was like a small isolated incident instead of like this massive problem. And like that was a weird where I was like, oh, I really hope it is. And then I know that, that like you don't to root for that is weird, but yeah, the alternative is worse. Yeah, it's also somehow very bad. Yeah, because yeah. I think you're right that it is worse because, of course, child abuse is a terrible thing. But also we know that happens. What is so scary about this is there are supposed to be people on the other side who are looking out for victims of child abuse. And it's supposed to be the people in this documentary. And they fuck it up so bad. Yeah. So, so bad to the point that they are essentially the abusers. Like, it's not that they're essentially the abusers. They they destroy a family. They destroy a family. Like, literally destroy a family. The Kowalski family is the center of this documentary. The first person we talked to is Jack, the husband and father of the family. And he's talking about his wife, Beata. And right off the bat, he's talking about her in the past tense. So it's like, uh uh-oh, what? You know, she's dead or in jail. Yeah. What happened to Beata? Yeah. And he, he tells their story. He talks about them trying to have kids and they finally pulled it off. They have a daughter named Maya, and shortly thereafter, they have a son named Kyle. And this is like early 2015, like spring 2015. Jack is a firefighter. Beata is working as a nurse. And Maya starts getting sick, like real sick. Like can't move her legs. Can't move her legs. Her feet start like turning inward. Yeah. She can't like use her legs at all. She's getting these crazy respiratory infections and they take her to doctors and none of them are able to help. They're all like, look, I get that we're doctors, but we have no idea what is happening with your child, which. And instead of saying that, they actually say it's mostly in her head. Like they're, you know what I mean? Like a lot of doctors, instead of saying, we don't know what's going on. They gaslight people that that is like, oh, it's probably anxiety. Oh, it's probably this. That's just something that I. Yeah. And it's have experienced in my life a lot. 
it speaks to something I say on this podcast all the time, usually more in relation to like lawyers and prosecutors and things of that nature. But there are people who are shitty at their job at every fucking level of society. Any job you're talking about, there is a best doctor in the world and there is a worst doctor in the world. And there are countless doctors in between them of all different skill levels. And yeah. it seems like the Kowalskis were hitting up a against a bunch of not great doctors who weren't really diagnosing their child correctly. And meanwhile, she's in like excruciating pain, right? Like they, yeah. they were saying that like what a feather feels to our, a touch to our skin is like her being on fire or something like that. Right. Like it's like, yeah. And like she's, this little girl's in excruciating pain. It reminds me a lot of a friend of mine who has fibromyalgia, which is a condition that depending on the doctor you're in front of, they're either going to do what they can to help and treat it, or they're going to tell you fibromyalgia is fake and that it is all in your head. Like she has gotten that from doctors. Like when she was traveling and had like a flare up, she would go to a doctor like one time in France and he was like, oh, fibromyalgia is fake. And it's like, again, that's just how it works. Sometimes there are bad doctors out there who are lazy and not good at their job. I hear that's the 80 20 rule, like with every profession, 80 percent's not that great. And like 20 is awesome. Yeah. And that's like with every every profession out there. I mean, and it's a weird comparison, but even comedy, like yeah. there are comedians who've been doing comedy for a long time and are still very successful. And it's because they keep trying. And they keep writing new jokes and they keep up with the times. And then there's these comics who like wrote a good 15 minutes in 1993. And if you see them tell jokes now, they're just going to be mad that the woke crowd doesn't like their Monica Lewinsky stuff. And it's like, that's your fault, fuckface, for not keeping up with the times. Who did I talk to about this? Were you somewhere where someone did the Monica Lewinsky? Because I think I talked to Jeff yesterday and he said literally the same thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Or am I psychic and I had a dream about this? I don't I, remember. But I feel like we've all seen that comedian, though, at some point. And then gets it's mad. Like, hey, I'm 60. Here's all my good Bill Clinton stuff. And it's like, dude, Clinton's not in office. And I bet you voted for Trump. Yeah. And also what America did to that woman. That should is, be a true crime episode. Yeah, it's disgusting. I would love to be on that if you want to, because that that was. Yeah. Yeah. That was very bad times. So yeah, 80, 20. So yeah. I cannot, yeah. And I have yeah. an upper respiratory thing from uh, long COVID. And I finally, I got it in November of 2020. I finally have a doctor that has explained to me why she's like, it's brand new. And as doctors, we are taught to look at objective evidence. And since we don't know anything about COVID and there's nothing objectively wrong with you, doctors are just telling you it's probably anxiety. And she's like, and she's like, and we can't just throw a bunch of meds at you hoping something will stick because you, it's dangerous and you could sue us. People sue if like, sure. And, and so, but I find like after three years, finally have a doctor that's like, all right, here's a lung specialist. If not, then we're going to send you to another special. We're going to find out why you can't like 80, 20, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah it makes me crazy how you have to like shop around sometimes to find a doctor who fucking gets it. 
and who yeah. is going to work hard enough to actually figure out what's wrong. Cause again, people are lazy. Like people don't want to have to keep, like, I guarantee you there are a lot of doctors who are like, look, I went to metal, medical school. I got my fucking degrees. I'm a doctor now. I don't have to keep up with shit anymore. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you do. You sure do. Like, imagine if you were like an IT person who got that job in like 2005 and you were like, I'm good. I don't need to no, learn anything else. Not learning anything else. Like you'd be out of that profession by like 2007. That is, I had a doctor years ago, like 15 years ago. I, I mean, this is I, gross. Maybe. I don't know. You all know me. Um, <laughs> I, I thought IBS. I was like, I have IBS. And my doctor literally was like, that's made up. It's not real. And I was like, okay. And now 15 years later, it's like one of the most like women get diagnosed with it a lot because it is caused by a bunch of other stuff. But like, she yeah. literally told me I made it up and yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. And so the Kowalski family, they finally end up in front of Dr. Anthony Kirkpatrick, who is one of the few good guys in this story. He is the doctor who finally identified what was wrong with Maya. Yeah. Complex regional pain syndrome, which it's hard to describe exactly what it is. But one of the things he says, like you mentioned, it makes your skin like super irritable to the point that touching your skin with a feather feels like someone's stabbing you. But also he mentioned that normally if you have pain somewhere, you know, you let it rest for a little bit and eventually it's going to get lesser and lesser and lesser with this, your pain just keeps getting worse. Like there is no resting enough to make it stop. And yeah, I guess I understand one reason why your more mainstream doctors or your more rigid by the books they read in college doctors are hesitant to make this diagnosis. And it's because the treatment for it is ketamine, which here's the thing. Ketamine sounds a lot scarier than it is Yeah, because it's a horse tranquilizer and people hear that and assume, oh, well, humans shouldn't be taking that, huh? Unless you're Joe Rogan. Right. Didn't that guy say everyone, the horse something, he was like, that'll cure COVID. Sorry, bad joke, but. That was a different thing. Don't get That's me started on that. Joe Rogan actually did not tell people to take horse drugs. That was. Oh, that okay. was people on the left making that connection. Joe Rogan was taking the human version of that drug, which won a Nobel prize. A oh, years ago. I also don't have a negative opinion about Joe Rogan. Oh, it's I like fucking hate Joe Rogan. I just, I, I'm I, just, just feel not, like it's, I, I just don't hate anyone enough to let the like media lie like that. Oh, oh got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But Joe Rogan can go get fucked. I don't care. I wish he yeah. took the fucking horse version. I don't have a massive opinion about that guy. It feels like just like if one of our like dumb friends got famous. Yeah. That's, that's literally, he's just a dumb comedian. Who's just like, Oh, my opinion's important. <laughs> yeah. His may, I mean, we're getting way off track, but his yeah, main sorry. problem is he's not critical with his guests. He doesn't ask them questions that might make them uncomfortable. He just lets them talk. And when you have that big of a platform, some of those people, you can't just let them talk. But anyway, fuck yeah. Joe Rogan. All right. Well, well <laughs> what? Okay. So a special academy or a special K is what we called it in the 90s That's, when you did it. Yeah, at the a, street drug version. But. Yeah, the street. But like ketamine is, I have a friend who spent her life wanting to kill herself. And then she did a ketamine treatment with a therapist. And she was like, my whole world has changed. Yeah. My entire, like... Like and, marijuana, how 
there there's a doctors that are still like that's bad and it's like it's safe it's safe it saved a lot of lives right. it saved a lot of lives and like that's a good comparison because for the longest time marijuana has been according to the federal government in the same class of drugs or controlled substances as like heroin and yeah. cocaine meanwhile ketamine has always been at a lower level which is the level where the government is like, yeah, you probably shouldn't take it, but it's like, you're not going to get addicted to it. It's not like, oh. you're not going to, it's not habit forming. And the, not FDA, I don't remember who it was, but someone just recently, a government body just recently recommended that marijuana be moved to that same lower level where ketamine is. Recently. Like weeks ago. That's and, banana pants. And so that should tell you a lot about ketamine too, that, yeah, it sounds scary because it's a horse tranquilizer in one of its uses, but also the government's like, yeah, man, you can take ketamine. You'll be fine. Yeah. So, it's not illegal then. Yeah. I mean, like not in this case, especially like you could yeah. doctors do prescribe it to their patients. Okay. I didn't know. I, I knew that it wasn't illegal from doctor, but I didn't know that the government was just like, yeah, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. We don't recommend it, but okay. And so at first they try a low dose of ketamine to treat what is happening with Maya Kowalski and it doesn't work that well. So they have to try something else, a procedure that is only done in Mexico. They have to induce a five day ketamine coma, which when I heard that, I was like, what else does that work for? Cause I'm in <laughs> sign me up. Give me that five day ketamine coma. I bet it. I, I don't know. I think of my friend and she's fine. I mean, she's like, yeah, I've never not wanted to kill myself. And now I don't want to kill myself. Yeah. So, yeah. But still, there are doctors out there who are like, mm, ketamine's a drug. We can't over prescribe that. And meanwhile, they this is a point in history when they're just pumping people full of opioids left yeah. and right, which that's we know that real problem now. Yeah. yeah, that's a true crime sucks episode for another day. Yeah. But also after watching a little more, the ketamine coma seems a little rough. Seems like there might be a lot of hallucinations and things that come with it. But Maya comes out the other end and she feels a whole lot better. And there's a video of her from shortly thereafter where she's talking to one of her doctors and she's able to like move her arms again. Like she's. Oh, yeah. They, they did a before where they were like, lift this up. Lift your arm up as far as you can in order without it hurting. And it was like below her waist. She wasn't even able to lift it up like her arm Yeah, and the feet, the whole. Yeah. And then after the ketamine coma. Yeah. After that, she's fine. She's a new human. Yeah. And they end up having to switch doctors for insurance reasons. But their next doctor, Dr. Hannah, who when they first showed him, I was like, oh, is he going to be the problem? Nope. He's all he's just another doctor who was giving Maya what she needed to be happy and healthy and not in excruciating pain constantly. Right. Like that's, that's the one, like looking at this, like, I just don't understand. This is a little girl who's constantly in pain. And some doctors are like, meh, like I, I just, yeah. And so shit really goes off the rails. October 7th, 2016, a hurricane hits Florida. And that same night, Maya relapses. She was fine for like 10 months and then has this relapse in October of 2016. She's in a ton of pain and her dad is the only one who's home. I feel I 
don't remember where mom was Beata, but she was not, Oh, she was at work. She was at work. Yeah. And so dad drives Maya to the hospital and he's like, listen, you have to give my daughter ketamine. That's what will fix this. Like we can't, it's the middle of a hurricane. We can't get her to a regular doctor and they give her like a really low dose and it doesn't work. And by this point, Beata has showed up also. And she and Jack both are adamant that their daughter needs like a high dose of ketamine. And it seems like Beata was probably a little more vocal about it than her husband. They describe her as being kind of pushy and like very blunt and matter of fact, but also she's also a nurse and she's been seeing what this ketamine treatment has done for her daughter. And she's just like, will you just fucking listen to us and do what we're telling you to do? You can call our doctor in the morning. And if you've ever been in that situation where your doctor is not like I have, I have flipped out at doctors who have not listened to me what's going on. And like you have like, and that's for myself. I can't imagine if I had a a daughter that was an excruciating pain and the doctor was just like, "Mm, I don't know. And you know, what's going to, you know what I mean? Like I've flipped out at doctors, but you have to be an advocate for yourself. And Especially your kid. like. And it seems like what happened in this case is the hospital staff got very offended that Beata Kowalski was giving them all this shit about not giving her daughter ketamine. And they get offended to the point that they call a child abuse expert, a woman named Dr. Sally Smith, who should be in the fucking Hague right now. She should be a Hague where the International Criminal Court is it's where they try war criminals and oh yeah and uh like i she just she's she's a piece of shit she should be she's she's unscathed like at the end of this and it's insane that she's yeah she reminds me a lot of like a, a thing i say about prosecutors all the time like if you're a prosecutor and you like knowingly send an innocent person to prison just to like protect your pride in what world like, should you not go to prison next? Like you should be the one who goes to prison once that's found out. And people like this never face those kind of ramifications, including Dr. Sally Smith, who we find out later didn't just do what she does to the Kowalski family. Like it was just her thing. And yeah. so she comes in and starts drilling this family with questions about how they could let doctors give their daughter so much ketamine. And it's like, that's the treatment that's like, they went to doctors and doctors ruled that that was the treatment for that disease. And she does like a 10 minute interview and decides that the family, Beata and Jack Kowalski are perpetrating medical child abuse against Maya Munchausen by proxy. And they're essentially accused of over medicating her and causing her illness, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. Munchausen too is typically like the mom, whoever's doing it is seeking attention. Like that's like the psychological aspect behind right. it. And this woman didn't seem like that's what she was doing. She genuinely seemed. Yeah. She wasn't like a fucking. She wasn't trying like my daughter. So it's like Munchausen by proxy that the illness is to gain some kind of attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To that, I have a sick kid. I'm getting attention. And she wasn't doing that. She wasn't like jumping on social media and like making a big, this is my struggle. This is our story. Uh, Please use 
code Beata at checkout when you buy your Golo to save 15% off. Like she wasn't doing any of that shit. She was just trying to help her sick kid. Advocating for her sick child, which is the opposite of abuse. Yes. And at one point they interview the family lawyer, a woman named Deborah Salisbury, another one of the good eggs in all this. Mm -hmm. And she talks about how in Florida, Child Protective Services is not a government agency, at least not in this part of Florida. It's like privatized. And holy shit, talk about something that should not be privatized. Oh, I somehow missed that. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I saw it, but that, that's, that's for profit then, right? Like privatized, for you profit. make money the more you send, like the more you work. Uh, not work, but you know what? What? I mean, basically, if it's privatized, like, you need a steady stream of abused kids to keep the lights on. And just, I'm sure, purely by luck, this one county they were in, I think it was Pinellas County in Florida, had way higher rates of kids getting removed from their homes than any other county in Florida. Like, twice as many. And it's like, oh, the one with the privatized child protection service. The one for profit. Okay. The one that's yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Like what ends up happening here reminds me of, I don't remember the name of the documentary, but we should cover that also. Do you remember there was that judge, I want to say in Pennsylvania, who was like sending kids to these boot camps for like, you stole a pack of gum. You were unruly in class. Yes. And he was just shipping kids off to this boot camp. And then we later found out he was getting kickbacks from that boot camp for every kid he sent there. This reminds me of that a little bit. Yeah, I do remember that. Because and it this, was like a bad boot camp, too. Like it was like a abusive boot camp. Like yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, and this reminds me of that because we're jumping ahead a little. But at the end of this documentary, we find out that Sally Smith was doing the same thing. Like doctors would call her. She would show up, do like a 10 minute interview. And she'd be like, yep, child abuse, arrest the parents, take the kid into custody. And they interview all these families at the end where the exact same thing happened. Like they were not abusing their kids. And this one woman working for a privatized children protection services agency shows up and is like, nah, we're going to need to take that kid. And what's crazy is this also, we're jumping ahead, this becomes a big twist at the end, but most of those families signed this thing called a case plan, which basically says, all right, we'll give you your kid back, but you have to do everything the state tells you. And so at that point, what happens when they sign that is it absolves the hospital and child protective services of any wrongdoing at all. So there's all these families out there that were victimized by child protective services in this part of Florida and have no recourse as far as legal action. Like they just can't do anything about it. And it's such a like sign this piece of paper, like it, like holding that over, like sign this piece of paper and you'll get your kid back. But if you don't sign it, you're not going to get your, and like these parents are desperate Yeah, and they don't think of the future ramifications. They think about getting their fucking kid back. Yeah. And so Dr. Kirkpatrick, the doctor who initially diagnosed Maya and put her on this course of treatment. He reaches out to Sally Smith and he's like, Hey, what you're doing is going to kill this child. Like I diagnosed her correctly. This is the correct treatment for it. And what you're doing is literally going to kill this child. 
And Sally Smith in her deposition is like, yeah, I think I heard from him, but I don't remember. And it's like, how about you step into traffic, motherfucker? Also, as time goes on with this, they take the kid away. I keep being like, like as I'm watching and I'm still kind of rooting for it just to be this one mom instead of this huge, you know, thing happening in this county. I'm like, maybe it is Munchausen by proxy. Maybe it is. But the longer she's in the hospital, if if her mom was giving her drugs to make her sick, she would have gotten better and pretty quickly too. like, not like within 20, but within a week or two of not taking harming drugs, the little girl would have gotten better and she didn't get better. Like she she didn't, but there are text messages from doctors, like texting each other back and forth being like, "Hmm, I think this kid's lying. And they calling the kid a fucking liar. Yeah. Like they saw her move her leg at one point and they were like, see, she can't keep up the charade when mom's not around. And oh, meanwhile, those texts we, made me so angry. They they referred to her as ketamine kid. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yep. There's a lot of bad people in this. It really fucking sucks. And so the state ends up taking Maya into custody and tells the parents that they are not allowed to talk about it. And Beata, the mom is just like not that kind of person. Like she's not the kind of person where you are just going to take her kid and she's not going to say anything. And she's like, she was not the type who would just like sign that case plan and be like, all right, state of Florida, do whatever you want. And so she keeps calling and calling and there's like a recording of her and Jack fighting over it. Cause he's like, they're going to hold this against you. Like you're just making it worse. And it's like, God, I see both sides there. Like, yeah, I get why she did not want to shut up about it. And I get why Jack was like, shut up. Maybe they'll give us our kid back if you just shut up. And they have all the power. Like, there's no winning there. Like, both of them are right. And it's like the like how they reacted is how you react. Like, they have literally no power. Like, yeah, I can't. I just. And so they have what's called a shelter hearing on October 14th, 2016. So just a few days, like a week after Maya first went into the hospital and a judge not only rules that the state should keep Maya, but also that a no contact order should be put in place. So now Beata and Jack aren't even allowed to talk to their daughter, like not on the phone, nothing. And Beata fucking collapses in the courtroom when that happens. And She's subjected to a mental health evaluation, and the person who does that decides she does not display signs of carrying out Munchausen by proxy. She's just depressed because the state took her kid. Go figure. Yeah. And that that I didn't understand how it got that far. Like, why evaluate her if you you didn't like the results, you were still going to do what you were going to do anyway. You know what I mean? Like, and meanwhile, this little girl is in excruciating pain. Yeah. And the mom, Beata, she knows her daughter is not getting the treatment she needs. And they've seen this before. Like, even if she's not at like peak levels in terms of being sick, they know where this is headed. Like if she doesn't get this treatment, they know what kind of state Maya is going to be in pretty quickly. And meanwhile, people at the hospital are like, well, she's getting better. And I mean, they interview Maya throughout this and she's like, I was not getting better. Like I was definitely in pain and they like use these brief moments where she seems okay in court to show that see she was getting better and maya's like that's not how diseases work man 
Some days I was really bad. Some days I was fine. Like that's how diseases like this sometimes work. But the court just keeps siding with the doctors from the hospital. Even when Maya's own doctors are like, look, this is the treatment for what she was diagnosed with. Like, and the psychiatrist is like, this broad's not ill. I don't understand how this can happen. I just don't. There are a lot of kids that are actually abused and no one does fuck all. And yeah, because once you privatize something like this, it's not about helping abused kids anymore. It's, it's about, about making money. It's disgusting. It sure is. And so they do let Jack have a very brief visit with his daughter and he sees that she's not doing well, but the court has cracked down on this family so hard. He's not even allowed to go home and talk to his wife about how Maya's doing. Like he's just able to say, yeah, I saw her. She's alive. How are they able to enforce that or make that a rule? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like we have live in a country where like spouses can't testify against each other. Like, I don't understand why, how they could regulate him not telling her what's going on with their fucking kid. And how would they even know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I had that question also. Are they bugging your home? Tell your wife how she's doing. So, I mean, I know Jack's not a bad guy in this. I just don't. Yeah. There were times that I was like, maybe fight a little harder, man. And I think he probably now is like, maybe I should have fought a little harder, you know, but maybe. Yeah. So yeah, Sally Smith is convinced that Maya is making up her symptoms. Then we meet Kathy Beatty, the social worker who was assigned to Maya's case. Turns out she was arrested for child abuse previously. So that's real cool. Real, real cool. How'd we get that job? Yeah. And she's telling Maya that her mom is crazy and that she's going to adopt her someday. And at this point, Maya's been in custody for 47 days. She's in a ton of pain. They're not giving her the meds she needs. And meanwhile, Kathy Beatty tries to get Beata's phone privileges taken away. Whenever Maya and her mom talk on the phone, Kathy Beatty is right there in the room. And whenever Beata starts like questioning how Maya's doing or what the conditions are there, Kathy will jump in and be like, you need to redirect and ask different questions. Don't ask how your fucking kid's doing. Can you imagine to 47 days without your family as a little girl in excruciating pain and also on top of that, you have all the adults around you either telling you your mother is crazy or telling you what you're feeling at like gaslighting. Like that's true torture. 100%. You don't have, and your little brain is still developing. So you're really susceptible to like all of the stuff, 47 days isolated basically. Yeah. And so eventually so a de- sad for this little, this family. Yeah. Eventually a detective shows up and interviews Jack. He doesn't realize he's being recorded, but she records him without his consent. Doesn't really tell him that there's a criminal investigation happening. And it's pretty clear that they're trying to get him to like turn on his wife and testify against her. And he's like, my wife didn't fucking do anything. I'm not going to testify against my wife. So then December 15th, 2016, Maya has been in custody for 63 days at this point. She writes a letter to the judge who is presiding over her case about how miserable she is and how she just wants to go home. For Christmas. She's like, all I want for Christmas is to be with my... She spent Thanksgiving alone. Her birthday. Oh, also, the detective got Jack, I believe, to say... to 
would he if something was going on it was like worded to being like would you turn on your your wife if there was this hypothetical and jack was like yeah and then the lawyer was like every parent would say that in that scenario yeah. Like if my wife was beating my kid to death, of course I would take the kid's side. There was like a weird thing that the detective got Jack to say. Yeah. And the lawyer was like, if he said no, then they would have just taken that as him being part of the abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, everybody in this scenario is just in this crazy rock hard place, except. And then Maya, meanwhile, is just like, can I go home for Christmas and maybe not be in excruciating pain? Right. So December 15th. Sorry. So December 15th, there's another court hearing. A woman named uh, Verenia Van Ness joins as co-counsel, and we hear her arguing with the judge in court. And she's basically like, you don't get to decide what course of treatment this family chooses. Like, that should be up to the family. Like, yes, these doctors are saying this, but these other doctors are saying this, and it's supposed to be up to the family to decide which course of treatment to go with. And the judge- And meanwhile- these doctors who are saying this are helping the little girl. The little girl is not in pain when the family who should be able to choose their own medical treatment, that's not illegal. You know what I mean? They're not giving the kid heroin. Like right. it's a legal treatment. They should be land of the free. So. And then it gets worse because they're in court. Beata's there. Maya's there. Everyone's there. So Maya, who also has a lawyer, he jumps in and is like, judge, can we at least let Maya hug her mom before they leave court? And this motherfucker says no. And like, why? the lawyer is like, there is no reason for him to have said no. Like nothing bad was going to happen as a result of Maya hugging her fucking mom. But this judge says no, and it breaks Beata. Like she's been struggling so hard this whole time trying to get her kid back. All she wants is a fucking hug. And the judge is like, nope. And so they, they go home and they were supposed to go to like a birthday party that night. And Beata was like, I can't, I'll fucking wrap the present. You and our son go to the party. I'm going to stay home. I have a migraine. They go to the party, come back and Beata hung herself in the garage, which I kind of knew something like that was coming, but just the way it happened with the judge being like, no, you cannot hug your daughter who is very sick. Like, God damn. Like, did something bad happen to that guy eventually? I sure hope so. Yeah, I, I would. We should look that up because what was the and also like they came home from the birthday and Beata was they they assumed she was just asleep. Didn't the brother find her like? Yeah, they assumed she was asleep. And then so they, they didn't Beata's check for brother comes over and finds her in the garage. So you hear the like Kyle gets to see his mother hung like like this. Yeah, the 911 call is fucking heart awful. Yeah. yeah. As is his call with the lawyer. Like every moment of this documentary from this point on is pretty fucking harrowing. Like it's really bad. And I like I I this, I had this reaction. I I'm mad at Beata, and I know that that's like I know that that's not hell. Like I know that that's like my own inner child stuff. Being like, how could you leave her? You were the only one. But I also. Like she, like, I know people who've taken their lives and you look at that and you're like, 
how dark does it has it gotten that that is your only way out you know what i mean like i don't so i i i know it's complex and i know it it's complex and when i saw that i was just like you how you 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 I don't want to use the word abandoned your family because I understand that. Am I making sense? I don't know if I sound insensitive. Yeah, but. I mean, it's it's an obvious question to ask. I don't know if question is the right way to put it. But yeah, it is. I mean, it's a fucking bummer that she did what she did. But then, I mean, you and I both know people have taken their lives. We are comedians. Yeah. And that is one of the processes of grief when you lose a friend to suicide is I mean, in grief in general, there's the anger, but with that, there's anger. And then there's guilt that you didn't do anything. And like, I like you can see that Jack for the rest of his life is going to wonder, should he have gone to that birthday party? Should he have pressed harder? You know what I like? It's just. Yeah. And I had a friend take her life and another friend who had another. Uh, we bonded over both of us losing someone yeah. to suicide. And she just was like, can you imagine how dark your head is to think that that is the only I, it's just really fucked up. I, I don't know. I that I was angry. And then I was like, I, I've never been to the point where I'm there. You know what yeah. I mean? Ideations I've had all that stuff, what, whatever. But like, I just. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the best course of action for Beata to take. But in no way is she like the villain here. No, God, no, God, yeah, no. I hope like, that that's not what I, I'm coming off as. I just. It, you know, it would have been preferable if she did not <laughs> yeah. take her own life. But. I just it's I mean, it's even hard to say it's understandable, but it's kind of understandable. Yeah, like, that I've I've been grappling with that feeling of both of that, like being mad, but then understandable and then being really angry at who we should actually be angry at, which is the system. But it's just like then now we're watching all the, the both kids being interviewed, Jack being interviewed after this and just like yeah. and it's, it's heartbreaking is like too nice of a word. They find a suicide note from Beata that is addressed to the judge. Oof. And she's basically like, you did this. You took her mom away and now you take care of her. And it's yeah. rough. It's fucking rough. Oof. And then even, I mean, I don't want to say even worse because this is good, but like shortly thereafter, Jack is allowed to take Maya to a different specialist who confirms Dr. Kirkpatrick's diagnosis. And just like that, Maya is let out and released back into her father's custody. And, and Jack's, all Jack's, it took was her mom hanging herself in her garage. It's like, and Jack, Jack said that he was like, she saved her by doing that because right. Right. Which is such a fucked up. Like, I don't, under, I just don't understand. I don't understand. And I know that that's, there's nothing here to understand except for vile people. Yeah. Did the judge get a kickback if they lost their kid? You know what I mean? Like, wh why? Like, probably. Oh, it makes me sick. But yeah, Maya's home now. And yeah. has her treatment again. <laughs> so then, yeah, they cut to 2020 and there's an interview with Maya and she talks about how, of course, it was great that she finally got to leave the hospital, but she never got to say goodbye to her mom. She never got to, she, like, can you, if that judge would have just said yes, even if the same result happened, at least she got to like 67 days plus. Yeah. Without any contact with your, and Beata sounded like a really good mom, like a mom that you. Yeah. And so she finally gets to go home, never got to say goodbye to her mom. She's also not allowed to continue with, the ketamine treatment 
because the state has decided that is how it should be. Like, this is one of the saddest documentaries I've ever fucking seen. Like, yeah. have you ever seen Dear Zachary? That's the baseline for saddest Dear Zachary about documentaries of all time. And I feel like this comes close. Dear Zachary is a documentary. It starts as a guy making a documentary about his friend. His friend met this woman. They fell into a relationship. They had a kid. And then that woman murdered him. And it starts as a documentary about that and about the like family trying to get custody of the kid they had away from the woman because she like doesn't go to prison for it. I don't remember why, but the documentary starts as about that. And then in the middle of it, the mother kills the kid like as this guy's filming this documentary that's supposed to be about this kid and the family's like attempt to get him away from this woman who killed this kid's father. And in the middle of filming that, she kills the kid too. And woof, it's rough. Dear Zachary is like Hall of Fame when it comes to the saddest true crime documentaries of all time. Jesus, tell me that woman's in jail. Oh, she killed herself too. If I recall correctly, she like took the kid in her arms and like jumped off a bridge or something like that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the bar. This documentary is, I think from the moment of the suicide, I did not stop crying until the very end. Yeah. it. And then it, I cursed you again. It's, <laughs> like, it's Damn rough. it, Adam. I guess this is why true crime sucks. I, yeah, I cursed myself. Uh, Daphne Chen, she's one of the good people in this. She is a reporter who finds out about the Kowalski story and decides to report on it. And she finds that one, Dr. Smith's opinions differed wildly from the other doctors Maya was seeing. She publishes her article and as soon as it goes live, she starts getting calls and emails from families who are like, me too. That happened to me too. Sally Smith did the exact same shit to me. And sure enough, there are all these families who are like, man, our lives got wrecked over this. Like, even if in the end it all gets resolved and you have your kids back, no one's giving you back the money you spent on lawyers. Yeah, it's like we almost went bankrupt. Yeah. Just trying to get lawyers and trying to get our, our child back. We almost filed for bankruptcy. And in all cases, it was just kids who went in because they were sick. They weren't being abused. And Sally Smith shows up, talks to the family for 10 minutes and is like child abuse. Yeah. And then one of the families sends her a letter every Christmas to like, this, this is what, how my kid's doing this, whatever. And her response was, it makes me really sad that you're still holding on to this. It was like something like, wow, you really haven't let that go, huh? You're like $100,000. Like who knows how much money they spent on lawyers. I don't know how much a lawyer is, but yeah, six figures sounds about right. Yeah. And, and then she's like, I'd love to know more about what's going on with your kid. I'm like, I want someone to burn your house to the ground, Sally Smith. Right. Like the, the, the condescend, just the like, oh, it's really, it makes me sad. You're still not over this. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like someone needs to Tanya Harding, those kneecaps. Yeah. Sally Smith, something. Not that I want harm to be brought to anyone, but her. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Okay. Where is that? She's considered an independent contractor. I'm trying to find out where she is now. Sally Smith. Yeah. yeah she's, no, just she's in hell, but. Probably no, yeah. it's it's just like uh, the only thing. Oh, she retired from her position last year, so she got to cushily retire. Oh, good, good, good. And so 
Yeah, we mentioned the case plans earlier. All of these families signed these case plans that got them their kids back, but meant they could never sue the hospital. And Beata and Jack never signed one. Beata was like, I know what is best for my kid, and I'm not just going to sign off on the state deciding how it works. That's the other thing that I was surprised about the suicide, because this woman is so determined. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to pretend I know what was going on in her head, but like she's the only one that didn't sign the thing. You know what I mean? Like it, she was. Yeah. Like it had to have been the I, I don't know. I the suicide is still rolling in my head as I, I just have a lot of feelings around it. Yeah. But I mean, it, it turned out for the best that they didn't sign that. Oh, no, I think it like, yeah, the fact that she and, was like, no, I'm not signing that because a lot of people just sign it. Yeah, it just. And not only did she not sign it, but Beata kept really meticulous records of all of her contacts with the hospital and the doctors. So that meant when the Kowalskis are finally able to go to court or were finally able to go to court, they could refute any lies the medical staff told because they were like, no, we have like the literal receipts from that conversation. And yeah. so they start, you know, trying to get a lawsuit going. You're seeing throughout the documentary, all these like zoom call interviews. And those are like deposition moments from when this finally goes to trial. There's one scene where this lawyer is interviewing Maya and he's like, so you told someone recently that you're scared of doctors and scared of hospitals. Why is oh, that? That moment was heartbreaking. And she goes off. She's like, are you insane? I got kidnapped the last time I went to a hospital. Why wouldn't I be? She was like, my mom died. And you're like, why are you so scared of hospitals? It's like, ugh. some people should just melt. Like just, just fucking combust on the spot. Yeah. Oof. I want them to suffer a little, though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like that they get to just die. Like, I want. Yeah, that's true. And want, yeah, there's also a really crazy moment where in the course of trying to file this lawsuit, the Kowalski's lawyer finds that the hospital that kidnapped Maya for three months billed her insurance company oh, yeah. for three months of treatment for CRPS, the exact condition her parents and her doctors were saying she had that the entire hospital staff claimed she was making up, but they billed the insurance company to treat it. Cause of course they fucking did. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, and that's yeah. When the doc, this is how they said that the text between the doctors, the ketamine girl's mom killed herself. That was a text two doctors wrote the ketamine's mom. And I can't remember what the response was, but it was equally disgusting. Oh, it was. Like, we still did the right thing. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, we still did the right thing. A life is lost and we are wrong and everyone should lose their jobs at the minimum there. Like, I don't understand how everyone's just allowed to just continue. Yeah, it's bad. It's very bad. And then even worse, the last moments of the documentary are about this family just fighting so hard to just get to go to court to, you know, have their day in court. And their there's one moment, heard. there's one moment where there's this hearing to decide if it can finally go to trial. And the judge is like, nah, we're going to push it indefinitely. And their lawyer is like, okay, uh, can Maya and Jack at least address the court? And the judge is like, no. 
And it's like the fucking hug all over again. Like they just wanted to be able to say words in court about what happened to them. And to, at to get some kind of closure just to be heard. Like, yeah. And at every step of the way, people are stopping them from doing that. But they do eventually get a trial date. It actually just started. The I I looked it up. It looks like they got money though from it. Oh, did it they? just I looked at uh, two point five million. Oh shit. Yeah, I I looked it up last night because I was hoping. Yeah, that must be recent because it said the trial was supposed to start on nine eleven of. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I googled that. Where is? I wish I knew where where it was. I will tell that, you later. That's good for them if they did finally get some sort of resolution. Ugh, it still sucks. It sucks that they needed that resolution. And yeah. Oh wow, two hundred million dollar lawsuit. Okay, I'll look at this another time. Sorry, we're like li we're live. I'm like, let me let me Google now. But I think I read it last night because I was in tears, hoping at least they got their day in court. And it was 9-11. Uh, yeah, that was very three recent. weeks ago. Yeah, I just so many things. If one person in quote charge did the right thing, this whole thing would have. You know what I like? If one per like, it's like how I don't understand how a whole uh, like staff of doctors. There's not one in there that goes, I don't know, this other doctor said it just it's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's concerning is what it is. And this documentary reminds me a lot of another documentary I talk about all the time called The Syndrome, mm -hmm. which is about shaken baby syndrome. And yes, of course, if you shake a baby violently, it's going to cause that baby a lot of harm and probably kill that baby. But what The Syndrome points out is that the same people who really made shaken baby syndrome a thing in the public eye are the same people who started the satanic panic in the eighties where all of these daycare operators and like nannies and shit were getting accused of being satanists and like doing Wait, ritual what? sexual abuse to kids. And they were all these outlandish fucking stories. Like in one, they alleged that someone like these daycare operators slaughtered a giraffe in front of these kids as part of a satanic ritual and all these people went to prison for it and they've almost all since been exonerated and let out there's like one or two families that are still in prison over it but it was all bullshit who believes the giraffe though do you know Every, how hard it would be to get a giraffe in the 80s everyone like there's a reason hundreds of people went to jail over it and it was this one group pushing the satanic panic. And when that ran its course, the next thing they moved on to was shaken baby syndrome. And now that's how they get innocent parents locked up and sent to prison. And they go through the science of it. It makes very good sense in the documentary. If you've ever seen one of those demonstrations where someone's shaking that doll, the way that baby's head is moving, obviously if that happened to a baby, they're going to have some neck damage. And yeah. so any case of shaken baby syndrome that doesn't include that neck damage is not shaken baby syndrome. It is something else, probably not child abuse. But at one point there was this rule put in place that if doctors at a hospital saw a kid with these three particular symptoms, they had to call the police because it could only be child abuse. And that is false. The symptoms in question can be caused by a fall. They can be caused by vitamin D deficiency. They can be caused by all of these different ailments. 
And these fucking lunatics that push shaken baby syndrome will look you in the face and say, no, a baby can't have head trauma from falling, like falling and just hitting the floor. No, of course, that's not enough to hurt a baby. And it's like, obviously, that's enough to hurt a baby. That's enough to hurt a like if you've grown human too. If you fucking hold a baby wrong, you'll hurt it. Like, of course, yeah. a baby falling is going to cause some injuries. But there are parents who went to the hospital and were like, our baby fell off the bed. Please do something. And the hospital was like, we will. We're going to arrest you for child abuse because you shook this baby. And it's like no one's shaking their fucking baby like that. But it's the same thing. Like once you get the police involved and they have a doctor in their ear saying this is child abuse, they're going to believe that doctor. And they're oh, yeah. not going to believe the parents when they say, no, it's not. And it seems like that's kind of what happened here, too. It's fucked up. And once again, we we do this and I don't feel good. <laughs> like I no. always I'm like, maybe there'll be a bow at the end. I mean, I'm and also I thought about Kyle a lot during this whole thing. That kid's childhood was stolen, too, because all yeah. of his childhood, it would have already been a lot about his sick sister. And that's a hard thing for another a sibling to deal with. But with all, like that kid, I mean, at the end when they went, when they at the, oh, I lost it then too. When um, they came back from that court hearing where the judge was like, no, you can't even be heard today in court. Maya lost it in court. And then they went home and then Kyle went into his bedroom and you hear Kyle and Jack and Kyle just wailing, crying. Like I, I it's just not fair. And yeah. Yeah, it's bad times all around. Yeah. And like, this is a documentary people should watch. Like, because I'm sorry, there's some people that just trust the system too much and just trust that people in positions like this are always doing the right thing and are only motivated by their desire to care for kids. And listen, sometimes creeps decide to work with kids too. We fucking know that. And this is no exception. Sally Smith should be in a criminal court. Like she should be in prison for the I things don't she did. Understand why she's not. Yeah. I don't understand why this came out and people aren't and it's because uh, they can't sue her. Like I don't I don't understand. And if I, I I assume if you do just like a tiny bit of digging, you can find out how much money that woman made every time she sent a kid like took a kid away yeah you know i mean like i don't understand how that and and then i don't understand how people are like well trust the system when they know very little i mean very little information and you yeah like sally smith had a real cop mentality in that she had it in her head that she was right and there was no questioning that there was no shaking that belief she is a zealot like she like we talked about that last week on the episode about Elizabeth Holmes in Theranos, where Elizabeth Holmes just had this blind belief in herself and anything that questioned that was just off the table. Like she wasn't even going to address it. That's how Sally Smith acts in this. She has one idea in mind and all of her efforts are going to be focused toward that end. And if you try to tell her you're wrong, she's wrong. No, you're just wrong. And she has all the power. So what the fuck are you going to do about it? And yeah, I'm just glad she's not in that job anymore. I hope she's deeply unhappy. Like, 
I hope yeah. what she did to all these families fucking tortures her at night. I hope but you know it doesn't. Oh no, that woman doesn't have a conscience at all. I think like she's the person that if, if if everybody knew who she was and people were mean to her on the street, she would make it about how she was the victim. Like she doesn't care at all. Yeah, like absolutely. she got her. Yeah. I hope I hope everyone is mean to her. I hope yeah. everyone near her knows who she is and I, I think so. we should we should burn down her house. Yeah, she should break an ankle in the shower. It's one of my fave things to say. Um, but I think that is our episode. We did it. We did it. <sighs> Kim, thank you so much for <laughs> watching this documentary. We we got to do some more Tinder swindler stuff again. Yeah, or we can. Could we do a conspiracy about flat earthers or something stupid, <laughs> like something silly that'll that'll just? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll nope. Next week's not going to be any better because I we are covering American Murder, the family next door, which is about Chris Watts killing his entire family so he could go be with his new girlfriend. Uh, so hey, oh. watch that if you haven't seen it. And in the Throughout meantime, the race. Yeah. Do we have anything? This feels like the appropriate moment to plug shit. Uh. Once you cheer up, come see me at the Sardine in San Pedro, November 10th. Got a show with uh, Connor McSpadden, Lindsay Adams, Danger Van Gorder, and Countless Thousands are playing music after. It's going to be a rip-roaring good time. Take your mind off the decay and rot that has overtaken our system and come out for a night of comedy. Tickets will be on sale soon. Also, follow me, on follow me on Instagram at Adam Todd Brown. I'm tired of running social media channels for every single podcast I host. Fuck off. Just, Just follow, follow your one. Yeah. Follow me at Adam Todd Brown. You'll find out what's going on with all the various podcasts. Kim, what do you got to plug? I mean, I feel like it's the same every time, right? Uh, sure. I have a couple of shows coming up. I am doing Jeff's Mint on Card in November. I think that's the 11th. I think I'm in Simi Valley on the 10th of October. Go to KimCrawl.com. That's all pretty much there. And then follow me on Instagram, K-Y-M-K-R-A-L. And I have a book and a podcast. And I think that's it. We should get out of here, right? Let's get out of here. Kim, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>